Well, we've never heard that story before. It's kind of a bad place to start a sermon. I feel like some of you are already just about bored to tears, right? We've, we've heard this all before. It's so, it's so familiar. It almost becomes background noise for us. But I've got I've to tell you, uh, I would have done it differently. I mean, think about it. I, a baby, a, a stable, shepherds. I mean, really? I mean, even for, for any, any family, right, this would be a disaster. Uh, more or less for the Son of God. We, we make our, our nativities, you know, so neat and, and cute. Everything's sort of, sort, of, sort of cuddly and all that. But this, are you kidding me? This is what it looks like? Because just even think about it for a moment. If, if you were God and this was your, your moment, right? Your big moment to sort of inaugurate your, your rescue plan on this earth. Planning for all of eternity. And you're God so you can do anything. Anything. Well, what would I have done? I mean, I think I would have skipped the whole newborn phase to start with. I mean, really? <laughs> Babies are the worst, aren't they? I mean, okay, they're cute, sure. But the son of God, right? God himself, a, a baby? I, I think I would have just waited and plopped Jesus down maybe after he could at least feed himself or was house trained or something. And, and, and I, I would have picked a, a palace, Right? Uh, the biggest, most extravagant imaginable with fireworks and feasting and, and music. Come on, people. This is the Son of God, right? Make a big deal out of this. And I would have, for the guest list, I would have invited all the who's who's for miles around. Important people, powerful people, beautiful people. My nativity would have looked a little bit more uh, like the red carpet of the Oscars, right? But this... Really? Because honestly, if we, if we could tweak the Christmas story a little bit, you know, kind of move it around, change it, make it a little bit more palatable, a little bit more sort of in vogue with, with who we are or what our expectations are, then if we could do that, we really could make Christmas about just about anything we wanted to, couldn't we? And we, I mean, we kind of do that anyway, don't we? And so if you, if you watch Christmas Vacation, uh, Christmas is, is all about the perfect celebration, right? Or the impossibility thereof. If you watch Elf, it's all about, Christmas is all about believing in something, even, even in anything. If you listen to, to Planet Money, Christmas is all about the economy. If you watch 24-hour news, Christmas is all about who still says Christmas, right? And who doesn't. If you watch, if you watch Lifetime, uh, it's all about family, and so we, we make this story into anything. But what actually happened? And, and let's, let's not forget that when we come to this story, we believe these things actually happened. That they don't just live in the, in the realm of what's cute or inspiring. But in historical fact. Which I, I realize that uh, for some of us, that's like, you know, just, just completely out of, out of the, the realm of possibility, right? And I, and I get that. If you, if you struggle to believe this story, uh, I, don't, I don't blame you one bit. And yet, you, you've got to at least wrestle with the question. I mean, if that's true, that means somebody, if, if this story's not true, uh, that means somebody made it up. And you've at least got to wrestle with the question of, if somebody made it up, why on earth would they make it up like this? Because this story is about weakness, it's about poverty. 
It's about the ordinary. Is it any wonder we make Christmas about so many other things? We would have done it differently. But God did it perfectly. For only in weakness, only in poverty, only in the ordinary could this God actually rescue us. So yes, without a doubt, you and I, we would have done it differently. But God did it perfectly. I mean, even just to, to start with, I would have chosen Caesar over this helpless baby. If you want to follow along in the story, we're in Luke chapter 2. You heard it read. You probably have it partially memorized, some of you. Uh, for others, it might, be, it might be new to you. You can turn there if you want. Uh, otherwise, just kind of listen and, and let this story uh, sort of sit with us here, here for a moment. Because I, I, I would have chosen Caesar over this helpless baby. Now, it's significant that Luke, he begins his, his story here in chapter 2 uh, with these details, right? Uh, it seems a little bit weird to us, maybe, but he, he mentions all these things. Caesar Augustus, Governor Quirinius, the, the registration of these tax laws that are, that are happening here. Uh, and there's, there's two things that Luke is doing with this. I mean, first of all, he's just telling his readers... These things actually happened. If you want to go look up some of these details, you can, you can do so. When the Bible gives those kinds of what seems like random details for us, that's what the authors are doing. They're saying that this, this isn't just a warm, you know, fuzzy. Uh, this is a story that either has to be believed or rejected. Uh, there's, there's not really a middle ground. But there's, that, that's, that's not all that Luke is doing there. He, he's also uh, wanting us to feel the contrast of powers in this story. Because Caesar Augustus, I mean, everybody knew in that day, Caesar Augustus was the most powerful planet, person on the planet, hands down. I mean, do you realize that we still celebrate Caesar Augustus for a whole month every year? It's called August, right? He, he's got an entire month named after him. And it would have been known in that day, as Luke is writing, that when, when Caesar Augustus was born, you can, you can read some of this in some of the historical documents, that when he was born, it was announced throughout the entire known world as the birthday of a god, that finally peace on earth had arrived. Good news, a savior. The same words that the angels used to describe Jesus. And Jesus, right, he comes and there's this choir of angels singing praises, and we'll get to that part of the story here in a moment. Uh, but it was also known that, that Caesar Augustus, at some point, he had levied a tax to be able to hire a perpetual choir to sing praises to himself all the time. Don't miss the contrast of what Luke is doing with this story. He wants us to feel the ridiculousness of the powers at play. And to show how powerful Caesar is, the story begins with something as mundane as taxes. I mean, a lot has changed since the Roman Empire, but taxes remain the same, right? And the real booger with this tax was that you actually had to go back to your hometown in order, in order to pay it. I mean, you thought going to the DMV was bad. Uh, for Joseph, this meant traveling all the way to Bethlehem because Joseph was in the line, the ancestry of, of King David. And so if you're following this, right, right out of the start, right, in these first couple of verses we see, and we often miss this as we read this, the, the, the Christmas story, that basically what's happened is that Augustus has lifted his little finger 1,500 miles away in the seat of power in Rome. And because this individual wants a little bit more 
money, right? Raises taxes, lifts his little finger. This couple that Augustus would never meet, uh, living in a, in a region in which he had probably never even heard of, are forced to go on a hazardous journey through backwards, you know, backwoods country, right? Uh, to this, this place called Bethlehem. Nine months pregnant, all for his precious tax. Talk about power. And then there's this baby. Because power is everywhere in this story, and yet the hero of our story is a helpless baby. You cannot get any weaker than a baby. We would have chosen Caesar. You see, we love power. But God chooses weakness. Now, now, power in itself is not a bad thing. We all have power, at least to some extent. But God, who possesses all power, becomes weak to save the weak. And you and I, we love power. And I don't, I don't just mean that we love powerful positions or we love to, to have a title or, or be in charge. I, I don't necessarily mean, mean, mean that, although that is included in here as well. But just even broadly, we love to get our way. I mean, I love to, to demand my rights, right? I love to, to be in control or at least to feel like, like I'm in control. We don't like it when our plans get interrupted and when we're reminded at how weak we really are. I mean, let me even just give a, a silly example. It's ridiculous, not even a, that, that big of a deal. And yet, uh, this week for me began, you know, I've got it all planned out ready to go, hit the ground running, uh, busy and, and all that. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a planner, I'm a, I'm a doer, and so I'm thinking to myself, I'm Nathan, I got this, okay? Got it, got it all ready. And so I'm, I'm in the office Monday, I don't know, 5.45, 5.30, somewhere around there. Uh, and as the morning crept on, I quickly realized that something was not right in here at all. Um, and came down with the stomach flu. Okay, um, and I slept 16 of the next 19 hours. Honestly, I've never done that before in my life. Just was completely flat out. Missed all of my meetings, and my greatest accomplishment was keeping the fluids down. That's, that's it. <laughs> and, and as awful as I felt, I mean, at least in hindsight, the worst part for me is, that, is the loss of control. Just the humiliating reminder of how fragile I am. That like, like that. I don't have control of my, my schedule, my life, my body, my situation, that I, I really have so little power, and I hate that. And I know it's a, it's a silly example. Who really cares, right? It's a 24-hour bug, no big deal. But you know, right, when life spins out of control, whether it's in big ways or small ways, we are left staring at our own weakness, and we hate it, don't we? We love power. We, we love the illusion of, of, of control, and, and don't, just, don't just look at your problems when we talk about this. Because that's kind of the easy way out. Look at our situations, the things that we wish we could change but can't. But so look, at, look at your inability to be who you really want to be. I mean, your inability to really change. Because I'd love to be a better father, better husband, better pastor, better friend. And I have tried every way I know how to rescue myself. I can't. And I hate admitting this. I hate it. But the reality is I am weak. And thank God that's exactly who Jesus comes for. And you can't miss that in a story like this. I mean, God makes himself 
helpless. He can't burp on his own. He can't roll over. If he wants to get his mom's attention, he has to cry. Helpless he is. And only a God like that knows what it feels like. And only a God like that knows how to help. We would have done it differently. But this Christmas, choose weakness. Choose dependence. The only way for God to save you, the only way for him to rescue me in my my darkness, my brokenness, and my, my sin and shame, the only way began for him as a helpless baby. Confess your need to him. You don't have to be in control of everything. Everything doesn't have to be perfect this week or in your life or in your kids' life or your parents' lives. And even think about this in our relationships. Weakness demands humility, doesn't it? Maybe this year you don't have to put your little sister in her place. Maybe you don't have to to let your insensitive father's comments bother you so much. You don't have to maintain that grudge anymore. Our God became a baby. He embraced weakness for our sake. But don't be fooled here. Because even though weakness is on display, don't miss the subtlety of God's power. Because, because, yes, Jesus is born in, in Bethlehem, and, and Caesar has, has a role in that, right? He, force, he wants a tax, and so he forces this young couple to go to, to Bethlehem. And yet, did you know that several hundred years before this, a guy named Micah, a prophet, said that our Savior will be born in Bethlehem. Caesar can levy a tax, but only God can write history. And even now, looking back, I mean, think about, I mean, what do we really know about Caesar Augustus now anyway? Unless you're like a Roman scholar, Right? I mean, his claim to fame is that he happened to be alive in power when this helpless baby was born. Other than that, he's forgotten. Nobody screams his name when they stub their toe, right? Yells out Caesar. We don't do that. (laughs) But we all know, we all know the helpless one, the weak one, not the powerful one. I mean, sure, Augustus, he got his month. Good for him, okay? But even even that, I mean, Jesus is the dividing line of all history, right? Even August happens in the year of our Lord, right? A.D. Jesus gets B.C., A.D., and all eternity, for in weakness we see his strength. We would have done it differently. God did it perfectly. So I love to to picture Mary and Joseph then sort of arriving in Bethlehem. You know, we've heard this story so many times. What what does it look like? I mean, what... They got there just in the nick of time, and I picture the city all sort of in a buzz, right? Because they've all arrived because of this, this tax, this, this registration, and so sort of eavesdrop on the conversations around. And what are the people talking about? But they're talking about taxes, probably talking about politics, economics. Some of them probably were talking about, you know, that, how they were dreading seeing aunt so-and-so while they were home, who they were really hoping they didn't run into from high school, those kinds of things. I mean, Honestly, we think we're that different from them, uh, but they were gathered there in probably very similar situations, probably some of the same exact conversations we're going to be having. But one thing I guarantee they weren't talking about was this poor young couple and their baby soon to be born in a barn. Nobody's, nobody's talking about that. 
No room in the inn. Of course not. The city has been flooded with all these visitors for the stupid tax, right? But really, God couldn't have made a reservation? And we, again, we, we try to make it so cute, don't we? All of our nativity scenes, they look so beautiful and peaceful, and they make it as if every woman's dream is to give birth, right? In the stable out back, right? I mean, it's ridiculous. But that's how we approach this story. This is not a good situation for anybody. I mean, I would have chosen anything over a manger. Palace and fireworks and TV crews and feasting and billboards, everything possible to announce his arrival. And said, picture them showing up in this stable, right? I mean, Joseph trying to kick away a little poo, right? To make room for his wife to lay half naked in the straw to endure what she's about to endure. Imagine that. Shooing away the animals. This is a teenage couple about to have their first. No doctors, no midwives, no, I mean, no hand sanitizer, right? Nothing. They have nothing there in that moment. And the pain, the screams, the blood. And finally, they take the Son of God and they lay him in the trough that the animals would eat out of. Nothing screams poverty like this story. Nothing says outcast or unwanted or human refuse like what we read in, on the first Christmas. Which, if you think about it, would just about perfectly characterize the life of this baby for 33 years, wouldn't it? Merry Christmas. This is not what I would have picked. We love riches, but God chooses poverty. Our God became poor to save the poor. And, and again, like power, money's not a bad thing, okay? That's, that's not, it, not it at all. And yet God wants to make it clear here that he is for everyone, even the poorest of the poor, the lowest of the low, because you cannot possibly get any lower than this. It doesn't matter how much you've done wrong or how little you have to, to bring before a God like this. You cannot read this story and miss it. This God, this Savior, he really is for everyone. The trouble is we love riches. And I don't just mean money here, although certainly we could spend plenty of time talking about money and, and the way we get so consumed with the stuff we have and the stuff we want. But it's so much more than that. We, we love anything that convinces us that our lives are valuable, don't we? That we're good enough, smart enough, capable enough, good-looking enough, that we've, we've got it all, all together. I mean, we would, we would rather pay our own way than get anything for free. And just look at us. Most of us look pretty good, don't we? All of our needs taken care of for most of us, most of our wants even. And if we're not careful, a God like this is a God we'll want nothing to do with we would have done it differently. But this Christmas, choose poverty. I don't just mean give everything away and skip the presents. And this is certainly a good time of year to, to learn and embrace the, the discipline of generosity. I'd encourage you to do that. But that's, that's so much more. There's so much more for us here. Don't, we can't stop there. Because the reality is you and I have a poverty that runs so much deeper. 
And I think we probably know it deep down that we, we owe a debt that we could, we could just never repay. That no amount of being good enough could ever be enough to, to commend ourselves before a holy God. And yet we keep clinging to it, right? I'm good enough. I'm strong enough. People like me enough and everything is, is fine. And so God must also, I must be okay. The reality is if you think you have enough on your own for God to love you and accept you, then he wants nothing to do with you. But if you come to him empty-handed, if we come to him recognizing how broken, sinful, poor, and truly needy that we are, and maybe that, maybe that even describes you. Maybe you think, man, there's just no way. I've done too much. My life is too, uh, so, so much shame and, and heartache. There's no way a God like this could ever forgive me. And, and so maybe if, you, if you're in that situation, you don't just feel poor, you feel empty. Look in the manger. Because the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus, who was rich, became poor so that we who are poor could be made rich. Rich in joy and hope and wholeness in life. For in poverty, we see the riches of God. And we would have done it differently. But God did it perfectly. Okay, so imagine. Again, here we are in that story and uh, the greatest miracle the world has ever known has just happened. I mean, you realize that's, that's pretty much what we're dealing with. It doesn't get bigger than God becoming man. Now asleep under the stars that he made. Without an audience. I mean, I guess there's some animals, right? And soon the shepherds. I would have picked anyone more important than this. I mean, even think about the story from their angle. There they are. They're just, they're minding their own business. It's an ordinary night doing an ordinary job, the most ordinary people, when an angel shows up. Just one at first, probably to cut back on the heart attacks, right? And yet, yet even so, in that moment, Luke, Luke tells us that they saw the glory of God, and you better believe they were terrified. And, and so the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the angel could have told anyone. He could have gone to the palaces, told all the political leaders. He could have told all the religious leaders, gone to temples and synagogues, all the powerful, influential, popular, beautiful, rich, whatever. But he goes, goes to the shepherds. I mean, it's as ordinary as you can possibly get. It's as, it's as if he wanted to prove the very words he was speaking. Good news of great joy for all people. The Savior, the Messiah, the Master of all. You'll find him in the barn just down the way. I mean, even the shepherds had to be taken aback by that, right? <laughs> Did he say a, a barn? Baby? And yet, don't you wonder if they'd have felt welcome to go anywhere else? Would they have shown up at a palace? But you can believe they felt comfortable there, even in the presence of God, there in a barn. And then, of course, all the other angels 
show up, right? This choir, and they, they sing out, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so they went, and they were welcomed, and they worshiped. Which even that, though, I mean, that had to make Mary and Joseph just a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, at least at first. I mean, everything that they'd just gone through, right? They, they've finally given birth. They're trying to get rest there in that, that really awful place. And in walks this motley crew of unkempt strangers smelling strongly of sheep and sweat, right? I mean, ladies, strange men in the birthing room, right? I mean, that, that's the scene. But they worshiped him. They worshiped their baby. And even though it's, it's beautiful in its own way, it's not what we would have done. You see, we love fame. But God chooses ordinary. Which is good, because he means he chooses people like us. Now, of course, we all, we all believe our lives are significant. I mean, don't we? It doesn't matter who you are, what you believe, how old you are, young. It doesn't, we all believe deep down that our, that our choices matter, that, that our lives have deep, deep, significant meaning. While at the same time, I think we all deep down kind of doubt that they do, right? In, in some ways, it kind of reminds me of an old, old Calvin and Hobbes. I used to love Calvin and Hobbes, and now my son is, is reading all my old books. Uh, here, here's one of my favorites. It's great. I'm significant screamed the dust speck. And, and I feel that, right? Because, I mean, that, that's us, right? It, uh, arms outstretched, believe me, I, I matter. Who I am counts. And yet at the same time, we feel so, so, so small. Which is, I think, why we're so obsessed with fame. It's like we want all of the other dust specks to notice us to think well of us, to feel, feel that our, our lives somehow matter. We're obsessed with it. I mean, from, from People Magazine to Entertainment News to uh, this guy, Brett Cohen. This happened a couple years ago. Anybody remember this story? Uh, it's on YouTube. You can, you can look it up. I'd, I'd highly recommend it. The video's too long to show. Um, it's a brilliant prank, okay? So Brett Cohen, he's an ordinary guy, just as, as average as anything. But he has this idea to go out and uh, get a, a fancy, expensive haircut, hire a camera crew and a bodyguard and a personal assistant and walk the streets of New York. And instantly, dozens, and then hundreds, and then well over a thousand people, like stop their day to go and flock to be near him, lining up to have their picture taken. I mean, you could, again, you can watch all this and you hear in the background people saying, oh, he was great in that movie or, or man, I loved his first song. You actually hear this young woman saying, this is the best day of my life. And he, he's nobody. <laughs> he is just an ordinary guy with a really twisted imagination, right? And a brilliant prank. And yet that's us, isn't it? We are obsessed with fame. And we have convinced ourselves that for our lives to be meaningful, they've got to be huge. But Jesus comes for the ordinary. And what's so beautiful in this story is that Jesus takes even the most ordinary people, people like us, and he makes it extraordinary. Not, not just famous, but glorious. And the glory of the Lord shone around them saying glory to God and the highest. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God 
for all they had heard and seen. And yes, we would have done it differently. But this Christmas, choose to be ordinary. Choose to be ordinary. And I don't mean just sort of give up on life and put on your stretchy pants, okay? <laughs> Although I do hope there are some stretchy pants in my Christmas future. I'm not going to lie to you. But that, that's, not, that's not it at all, right? That's not what I'm trying to say, and I don't think that's what's happening here in the story. It's not just giving up, right, and let, let, let be, right? No, it's, it's letting him define our significance. It's letting him tell us who we are and decide what's important in our lives. And so whether it's changing diapers or sitting at a cubicle or studying for a test or simply offering a kind word, we let him tell us what matters. We let him be the one that decides what's significant in our, in our lives and to be our, our worth and our value and to decide what we value in the lives of the people around us. For in the ordinary, in the ordinary, God's glory can shine most brilliantly. We would have done it differently. But God did it perfectly. I mean, think about this story. You can't get any weaker, poorer, or more ordinary than what we read here. And this is the story of Christmas. But what else, what else would you expect from the child born to die? Who, who came uh, to rescue us, to rescue me, that this, this is what it took, that my sins are so deep and, and my treason against the holy God so pervasive that the only way for me to be rescued, only way for me to embrace hope and life and forgiveness was for the God of the universe to become a man and to give his life on a cross as a ransom for me. That's, that's it. And so this Christmas... Choose weakness. You don't have to be in control. You don't have to have all the, all the right answers. You don't have to one-up the people around you. You can, you can embrace weakness. And choose poverty. Recognizing that you have a need, a, a debt so, so much deeper than we could ever repay. That we can be dependent on this God who comes and that we can choose to be ordinary. We don't, we don't have to have all the, the glitz and the fame the self-importance. But when we do, and if you do come to him, if you give your, your life to him, then in that moment, and only in him, we find true strength, riches that don't wear out, and a significance, the, the true weight of glory that cannot be matched. For God did it perfectly. Let's pray. God, forgive us. Forgive me for my obsession with power and control, with riches, self-reliance, with fame and self-importance. So God, even if it hurts, would you remind us how weak we are so that we can see true strength comes only from you? And would you, God, would you remind us how poor we are, how infinitely needy so that we'd look to you alone to fill us up for who else could? God, would you remind me, remind us how ordinary we are so that we turn to you for glory, for significance better than fame. And Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you who are infinitely powerful, infinitely rich, and infinitely famous chose the lesser place for our sake to save us from our sins and to save us from ourselves, to offer us something better. May we put our hope in you, our Savior. God, we know we would have done it differently. But together here in this place, we thank you 
for doing it perfectly. And so we say glory to God in the highest.